before we get to the episode, I just wanted to shout out to my fellow podcasters. Thank you for the support. I really appreciate it. I want to give something back to you guys as well. If you're looking for sponsors, affiliate links, ads, go on podmetrics.co. That's P-O-D-M-E-T-R-I-C-S dot co. And use my code Divine Healing by D to sign up and find sponsors. That's podmetrics.co. Referral code Divine Healing by D. Good luck. Hey guys, welcome back to Divine Healing by D. Today I have on a very interesting guest. Her name is Midge Murphy. She's practiced entertainment law for over a decade. She's worked with 20th Century Fox, Columbia Pictures, Disney. She became a really respected entertainment attorney and, you know, she thought to herself, as a lot of people do in corporate jobs, is that all there is? So she wanted to explore her spirituality and the emerging field of energy medicine and she basically became an energy healer practitioner herself she has a phd in energy medicine and using her unique skills as an attorney and energy healing practitioner she was asked to teach a class on ethics and legal issues at the academy of intuition medicine for francesca mccarty's two-year training program she learned that energy healing practitioners were uneducated about ethics, legal issues, and risk management strategies. So if you're an energy healer, energy practitioner just starting out, and you're really confused about the laws and all the policies, you want to listen to this episode. Uh, without this training, both licensed and non-licensed practitioners that incorporate energy healing methods into their practices face significant legal risks. So she opened her own consulting practice in ethics, legal issues, and risk management strategies. And for over 15 years, she's been serving many of the best known practitioners and training organizations in the field. She's recognized as a teacher, a dynamic presenter, and leading expert in the field. So today we're going to be talking about her groundbreaking book, Practice Energy Healing in Integrity, The Joy of Offering Your Gifts Legally and Ethically, which I just devoured. It's a very important book for any energy practitioner. She also developed an exam based on the book. She's providing practitioners with the opportunity to earn a professional credential and receive a certificate of completion in legal issues, ethics, and risk management strategies. It's recognized as a gold standard in the field. We're going to explore about safeguarding and practice, averting potential challenges, and creating a legal, sound, and ethical practice. I hope you enjoy her. Here is Mitch. Tell us some of the myths about practicing energy healing. Well, one of the myths that's out there, there's a lot of misinformation. The one myth that is really pretty prevalent is this myth that you need a license to touch. And the real issue is, is the type of touch that you are offering subject to licensure? And for the most part, the answer is no. So there is an exception. There are some states that require energy healing practitioners who use touch, such as um, Reiki, healing touch, therapeutic touch, uh, quantum touch, uh, polarity therapy, they must be be licensed as massage therapists in those states in order to offer their services. 
So that's one myth. Um, another myth is that um, somehow you have more protection if you get uh, ordained over the Internet. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely is worthless. It will not protect you from being charged with practicing medicine or psychotherapy without a license. Um, you might be able to do a ceremony like a wedding or something like that. That's fine. But in terms of any kind of protection uh, for you doing some kind of pastoral counseling, it's, it's not a legitimate certificate. It's not a legitimate credential. So that's a big myth out there. Uh, another myth that I've encountered is that these energy healing methods are completely safe. They're non-invasive and no one ever gets hurt. And that is completely and utterly untrue. I've heard so many stories over the last 20 years of unethical behavior that has harmed clients significantly. And sometimes it's not being done on purpose. It's that Mm -hmm. the practitioner is not knowledgeable or trained in how to behave ethically and legally in a therapeutic relationship offering energy healing methods to, to the public. So, and there's a lot of egos that get involved sometimes. People haven't done their own personal work. And so it, people do get harmed by these practices. And even though they're not like you're not operating on somebody energetically, they can really do a lot of damage to people, not only with respect to boundaries, but physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually, people have been harmed. Right. And why do you think some states only attempt to pass the laws that would require them to be licensed and not the other states? Oh, it's, it's coming. <laughs> what we're it's seeing coming. out there, yeah, is a groundswell of interest. The government's been looking at this field for since the Clinton administration and realizing that the American public were accessing these practitioners that are completely unregulated. <laughs> And there's no credentials, there's no training, there's no way of protecting people from the practices of these different energy healing methods that are being offered. So consequently, um, there's been a lot of talk and movement towards regulating these energy healing practitioners. And so what I'd like to share with you is that let's take a step back and look at the, the field of the healthcare field and the legal and regulatory framework that governs how healthcare services are offered to the public. And so what we need to know is that energy healing practices are considered part of the field of complementary and alternative methods, or CAM, as I like to call it. And I really like Michael Cohen's definition. He wrote the book Future Medicine, and he's a leading academic in this field. And he defines CAM as a consensus term, meaning everything out of biowestern medicine, outside of biowestern medicine. Well, that includes a huge number of different kinds of healing modalities and systems. I mean, you're talking about Ayurvedic and herbal medicine and functional medicine. And, and a subset of that field would be considered energy medicine or you know, psychosomatic energy uh, protocols such as EFT tapping, those kinds of things. And under the whole umbrella of CAM, we know their chiropractors are part of the field of CAM and they're licensed in all 50 states. And that took them a while to get that right to practice by licensure. Then there are some uh, CAM methods that are licensed in some states, but not in others. So we're talking about massage therapists, mm-hmm. acupuncturists, um, naturopathic physicians and so and 
another group in there would be nutritionists and registered dietitians. And then there's a completely subgroup of completely unregulated practices, and that's where energy healing practices fall under that, completely unregulated except for that one exception I mentioned earlier, and that is some states require you to be a licensed massage therapist in order to practice your energy healing methods. So right now what states are sort of moving towards is really taking a hard look at regulating this profession because it's completely unregulated at this point. And where this is coming from is really from the uh, Constitution, the Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution gives states the rights to pass laws and regulations that protect the safety and welfare of their citizens. So all healthcare licensing statutes are based on that principle. So the underlying regulatory value of why there's licensing laws is to protect mm-hmm. the safety and welfare of the citizens. So there's been a lot of rumblings. Um, there are some states who actually have laws in committee right now that would license energy healing practitioners. And some states are looking towards maybe having a registration uh, system for them. So it's not a license, but you have to register with the state in order to to practice. Vermont has that right now. Uh, Oregon attempted it two years ago. It didn't go through. So again, there's just a lot of movement from state governments to start to move towards regulating the practice of energy healing methods in in this country. Okay, <laughs> for energy healing practitioners, it's it's coming. But could you also explain like the key legal principles they need to know about? Well, the key legal principles are, for instance, you need to know what it means to have a client-centered practice. Mm. And the fact is that informed consent is critical. That's a key legal principle. And it's also an ethical one as well. And that is you need to have a legally sound client agreement and disclosure statement when you're working with folks. Now, some states require those documents if you are in a state with healthcare freedom law, for instance. Um, You have to understand the concept of negligence and the duty of due care. You have to understand that it's very easy to misrepresent your credentials. So there's misrepresentation and fraud that are rampant in the energy healing community, especially how they advertise their services on websites. So not only could you be sued by a client that said you misrepresented what you were doing for me and what you could do for me under the Federal Trade Commission um, regulations, you also could be fined for using a misleading or using an implied or express uh, claim on your website that doesn't meet the requirements of the FTC. So there's a lot of different legal issues you need to be aware of. Confidentiality and privacy are, are critical in terms yeah. of making sure that you keep things confidential and private. You know, you don't talk about clients, you don't post anything about them on Facebook and or give a testimonial about a client that had such a great experience and you didn't have permission to do so from that client. So there's a lot of different legal issues that need to be addressed and to be and to know about, to be knowledgeable about in order to have a legally sound and ethical practice. Absolutely. And in terms of classes and uh, what type of knowledge to consume besides obviously reading your book? What can uh, aspiring healing practitioners do to educate themselves, to not put themselves in danger of having a practice? Well, th- that my book is it. That There's really nothing much else out there. There are a few other yeah. ethics books out there um, that kind of do the basics about ethics and go through some scenarios, and that's a good way to learn. 
but it doesn't cover the legal issues. It doesn't cover how to market yourself as an energy healing practitioner. And so what I have with my book is I created an exam based on the book. And this is what I would highly recommend for every single energy healing practitioner out there that's offering their services professionally to the public is that they read the book and they take the exam because what they earn in completing the exam is a certificate of completion. And that is a professional credential. It allows them to say, I have a basic understanding and a level of competency in ethics, legal issues, and risk management strategies in the practice of energy healing methods. And this is my path of service. When I came out of my PhD program and became an energy healing practitioner myself, PhD in energy medicine, background in law, practicing law, it's like I saw this void. There is no one addressing these critical issues around how to have a legally sound and ethical practice. And a lot of people just thought, well, of course I'm ethical because I want to help people. And I honor mm-hmm. that, but that's, that's, that doesn't cut it. You really yeah. have to learn how to ethically behave in a therapeutic setting, setting with another person who's your client that's, a, that's paying you for your services. So I think this is critical that this book is here to be of service And I also work a lot with training organizations. So if any of your listeners are people that actually train other energy healing practitioners, I have a revenue sharing program. And that is that if they require their trainees or their students going through their training or certification program to read my book and take the exam based uh, as part of their core curriculum, then I pay the training organization or the school an affiliate commission for every oh, exam that one of the, their students um, purchases going through their program. So a lot of training organizations don't realize that they can be held legally liable for the actions of the students that they train. So it reduces their potential legal liability as well, and it gives the students the knowledge and the training that they absolutely need in order to put themselves out there professionally in an ethical way And Mm -hmm. it's my ability to share this information and make sure we get it to as many energy healing practitioners and training organizations as possible. That's right. Could you um, maybe list some legal risks that these non-licensed practitioners can face when they're offering their methods to the public? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And so we're going to do two different groups. So there are unlicensed energy healing practitioners. I am one of them. Our biggest risk out there offering our services to the public is that we could be charged with practicing medicine or psychotherapy or some other licensed healthcare service without a license. Right. And what you need to know is that how the medical practice acts have been um, interpreted by the courts, the, the lawsuits that have been filed, all of that sort of thing. The bottom line is that any kind of healing that anyone does is considered the practice of medicine. So the, the, all the 50 states have medical practice acts. And if you look at how they define the practice of medicine, it's extremely broad. Right. So the risk is that we as unlicensed folks could easily be charged with practicing medicine without a license. And so one of the risk management strategies is to make sure you don't use certain words. For instance, as an unlicensed practitioner, you never have patients. You only have clients. You do not offer treatments. You only offer sessions. You don't do any kind of therapy because all of those words, 
the perception would be that you're offering some kind of licensed healthcare services. So a lot of people that offer energy healing, especially in the tapping field and the you know uh, emotional freedom techniques, I work a lot with folks that are certified in, in that particular modality. And you have to be very careful that you don't use words like PTSD or anxiety or depression. These are all psychological disorders. So if you have on your website that you know, come and work with me with this energy healing method and I'll work with your anxiety, you are practicing psychotherapy without a license. Mm. It's a slam dunk. Because these are all psychological disorders as defined by the diagnostic, you know, the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual for psychological disorders. So I think there's just a lack of knowledge about how risky it is to put yourself out there. And when these are crimes, and mm-hmm. there's also this, uh, the other myth that's sort of misinformation that's going on out there is, oh, you're going to get thrown in jail. No, you're not <laughs> going to get thrown in jail. <laughs> but you will get a cease and desist letter from a licensing board saying, mm-hmm. we think you are practicing medicine without a license and you need to stop. And if mm-hmm. you don't come into c- compliance <laughs> or they think what you're doing is really egregious, they just shut you down. All right. You're done, you know. So this is why it's really, really important. And so there are some states that have healthcare freedom laws, which uh, if you are in compliance with those laws, then you, in that state, you, the threat of being charged with practicing medicine without a license is lifted. So are you familiar with any of the healthcare freedom laws that are out there? Some. I know some. Okay. Well, for instance, let's just talk about California for a second. California has yeah. one. And the whole, the whole point of this is that the state legislature said, hey, our citizens would like to access these alternative healing arts practitioners, but there's always this threat, this dark cloud, that they're going to be charged with practicing medicine without a license. So let's see what we can do. We are going to create a law that says, as long as you don't do these things, which means you're not going to do surgery, you're not going to set a bone, you're not going to take an x-ray, you're not going to right. tell people to stop taking their meds, you're not going to diagnose a particular disease or medical issue, and and as long as you have a client agreement and disclosure statement that has these elements, the theoretical basis of the methods that you are offering, um, you know your services, other kinds of disclosures. Especially, you have to say you're not licensed that you are not licensed right. by the state of California. And if you have that document, and your client must sign that document, that legal document, which is your client agreement. You have to keep it for a minimum of three years. Right. But what happens is people go, well, I didn't know I had one in my state. That's kind of cool. It is very cool. And then even if they're aware that they are living in a state and, and have their practice in a state where there's a healthcare freedom law, they're not in compliance. Right. So they're not protected. <laughs> oh, so there's just a lot of education that needs to go out there to help protect and move the field forward so it's perceived in a more professional way. Right, absolutely. And another thing that I wanted to obviously mention is the fact of what do you label yourself as an energy healing practitioner? So I learned through your book that the term healer is quite dangerous and better term is spiritual coach, life coach. Could you get more into that why the healer term is dangerous? Yeah, there's two reasons why. 
I do not recommend any anyone calling themselves a healer. I do not call myself a healer. There's an ethical issue, and this is my own personal code of ethics. I am not the healer. The only true healer in the room is my client. Yeah. I am not going to take on that projection. I am not a healer. I can be a witness. I can create space. I can, you know, um, help manage what they're doing, what they're going through in terms of what I'm offering, but I am not the healer. So that's the ethical consideration. The legal consideration is if you call yourself a healer, you absolutely can be charged with practicing medicine without a license. Hmm. And And there are case laws out there that are directly relevant to that particular statement. So I have ended up calling myself an energy healing practitioner. That's the title I use. And so I also disclose what I mean by that, that I'm not practicing medicine. I don't diagnose or treat any medical uh, issues or psychological disorders. I work with the human energy system to help balance it so that the body has an opportunity to heal itself. Yes. And so these are the kind, the language and how you understand what you're offering is really helpful. So you don't want to use the word therapist in your, in your title. And I, I do have a, the book is really, does a lot of issues around use of titles and which ones are safe titles and which ones aren't. Um, I have people call themselves energy workers, intuitive, um, mm-hmm. energy guide. There's just so many different permutations. As long as you stay away from words that are triggering and it could get you in trouble. The other part to right. this as well is there are people that call them, I had somebody that called themselves an energy psychology practitioner that were, was trained in EFT. Well, that, using that title violates all 50 psychology practice acts. So there's this yeah. concept of restic- restrictive or restricted terms, and that is one. So the law is very, very clear that only licensed psychologists can use the word psychology, psychological, therapist, psychotherapist. Um, and if you use those terms or those words in part of your title, then you're clearly in violation of the law. Ooh. And where do uh, safe harbor laws come into it? Well, safe harbor laws, as I mentioned, those are the ones that are, are the healthcare freedom laws. And mm-hmm. right now, 11 states have those. Um, and they're all slightly different. And so you have to make sure that you're in compliance with uh, the exact um, healthcare freedom law that's applicable to you in whatever state that you are. But the, again, it's only 11 states. It's, there's not a lot. Right. The only one that's really interesting is New Mexico. And by and large, all of these um, healthcare freedom laws or safe harbor laws only protect you from being charged with practicing medicine without a license. They do not protect you from being charged with practicing psychotherapy without a license. Except for New Mexico. New Mexico if you're in compliance with their particular safe harbor law, then you can offer your services um, to the public without the threat of being charged with practicing psychotherapy or any other licensed healthcare practice um, by virtue of the fact that you're an alternative healing arts practitioner in the state of New Mexico. And that's kind of interesting too. I work in my energy healing practice with animals. Um, Here in Oregon, in order for me to work on an animal uh, medical issue, as an energy healing practitioner, I need a referral from a vet. Mm-hmm. That's wow. the law in Oregon. And I've never had a problem getting that. It's always it's been very easy. Um, and so other st- you have to kind of be aware if you're going to work with animals as an energy healing practitioner, you need to look at your massage practice act in your state 
And then you also need to look at um, the Veterinary Medical Practice Act to see sometimes they do directly address the use of alternative healing methods um, and whether or not you can do that as an unlicensed uh, practitioner. I see. Are there other legalities that you haven't mentioned about working with clients across state lines? Uh, no, pretty much, you know, those those legal issues, oh. those ethical issues apply no matter where your client happens to be. They're all, it, it's, it's across the board. It's the same. And with these statements and agreements that we have our clients sign, do they need to be personalized or can we use different templates? Does it affect the... I guess efficacy of the statements or agreements. Yeah, yeah, you can, don't use a template. Use it a needs template. to be customized every because every practice is unique, and mm -hmm. each state is different. So you need to be you need to have someone who knows what they're doing. It's a legal document. In my experience right. of doing this for 20 years, I have never met a practitioner who knew how to draft a client agreement and disclosure statement. They don't have the yeah. skills. You know, it just, right. they just don't. And so you really need to seek professional help. And maybe an attorney in your state that, that understands and, and knows about these different kinds of energy healing pra practices. Because mm -hmm. this legal document, number one, is protective of you if it's legally sound. And if it's not, if you're using a template, it actually makes it worse. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And it depends on what, what is your business structure. Are you an LLC or a sole proprietor or a corporation? There's right. a lot of things that go into a client agreement and disclosure statement. And one of the things I want to mention, I never call them informed consent mm. from a, for, a, for an unlicensed practitioner. Again, we need to always be very mindful of never creating the perception that we're offering any kind of licensed healthcare services. So this is a critical legal document. And not only does it protect you from a client, it also is in service to your client because it makes it very clear what it is that you are offering and what it is that you can do for this client. Because when clients get upset is when they misunderstand what it is you're offering. Absolutely. And your client agreement and disclosure statement is a way to make sure everyone's on the same page. And also, okay. if you ever questioned by a licensing board or a regulatory mm -hmm. agency, you can show them your client agreement that makes it very clear what you're offering and that you're not doing any kind of licensed healthcare services in your practice. So it has a, it's multifunctional and it's critical, but it needs to be legally sound in order to protect you. Great. And so if we have lawyers, our lawyers would also educate us in regards to the rules and regulations of the FCC. If that's their area of expertise. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah. How do we become, like, how do we learn about the rules and regulations of that? There's so many, and I've actually seen it on Instagram. This may be a silly example, but it's an example. We have uh -huh. influencers plugging these ads and not writing ads. And audiences are getting fed up that they are plugging these products and not mentioning that it's an ad, and they report them to the FCC. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's, an so that's about endorsements and client testimonials and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's certain they've come out with guidelines. You can certainly go to the FTC and they have guidelines about advertising your services and you can read and educate yourself about that. I talk a lot about that in the book about marketing yeah. and what you need to be aware of, especially around client testimonials. There's another myth out myth out there that you know, you have your website and a client testimonial is there and it's protected by the First Amendment. The client can say whatever they want. 
Well, it's right. not true. This is a form of advertising, and so therefore it's subject to the, the rules and regulations of the FTC. So first of all, any kind of client testimonial, first of all, must be true. And then if there are any claims in that testimonial about any kind of curative ability, mm-hmm. the FTC requires competent and reliable scientific proof. And that means double-blind, placebo-controlled human clinical trials. And that really doesn't exist for a lot of the, most of the energy healing methods that are being advertised and offered on websites throughout this country. And to give you an example, there was Roger Callahan was one of the founding um, pioneers in energy psychology. And he's the one that sort of developed along with some other psychotherapists and psychologists, thought field therapy, which is sort of the precursor to emotional freedom techniques. Well, he, Roger had a website. The FTC took a look at it and said, you, what you're saying is not supported by competent and reliable scientific proof. So they shut him down, and they, he had to pay a $50,000 fine. Wow, that's steep. So, yeah, I mean, so it's not, you really want to be careful about how you advertise your services and, and educate yourself about how is the best way to go about that so you don't put a red flag over your head. And there's a lot of information in the book about that. But the FTC also has guidelines that you can take a look at and read and get knowledgeable about use of endorsements and, and testimonials and things like that. So that's a good way to also educate yourself about what you need to do. And there are certain states that have consumer protection laws as well. So those come into play as well when you're advertising your services to the public. So if, you, if you'd have to have like a game plan on being a really ethical energy healing practitioner, you'd say is obviously first read your book, then maybe get educated in the FCC rules and regulations, and then take the exam, right? Anything else I'm missing? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, you should read the book, take the exam, um, get that certificate of completion, um, and then you really need to <laughs> find an expert that can audit your website, making sure you're not using words that you shouldn't be using. A lot of people don't realize that they use, you will experience uh, relief in four sessions. That's a legal guarantee. You want to avoid saying will. There's different aspects that you need to be aware of. And also you need a website disclaimer. And that's a legal document that governs the relationship between you and visitors to your website. And that's absolutely critical and essential. So you really need to budget for risk management. You budget for your website, you budget to get trained, you need to budget for risk management and making sure that you're getting the legal services that you need or risk management services that you need in order to make your practice legally sound and ethical. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all the knowledge that you've taught the audience and me, of course. Your book is going to be in my library, going back to it nonstop. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Could you tell everyone where to find you, where to get the book? Oh, sure. Yes. Thank you, Davina. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Yeah, the book is available on Amazon and the Kindle version. The print book is available on Amazon as well as the Kindle version. On my website um, is the PDF version of the book. Some people prefer that. And the exam can only be purchased on my website. And it's an online exam, open book, self-paced, And it's submitted online. It's very easy to take. It's $150. It's a really good investment. And I grade your exam, and I will send you a certificate of completion if you pass by 85%. Um, And my website is very simple. It's just midgemurphy.com.
And some of the listeners might also, I have several blog articles on my website, which are free. So that may be something some people may be interested as well. I will definitely put that in the show notes for everybody to link back to. Great. Great. Thank you so much, Mitch. Have a great day. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Davina. It was a pleasure being with you today. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to give you a friendly reminder. If you like what you're listening to, if you like my content, if you like my podcast episodes, really appreciate ratings on Apple, reviews, subscribe, share to your friends, family, anyone you really think would benefit it. And thank you always for the support. Have you guys heard of Rakuten? It's where you can shop all your favorite stores online and make money. Yeah, you can make money. I have made thousands of dollars. Granted, I've been on it for a while, but if you're someone who's an online shopper, you need to sign up right now. And you can use my invite link. That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N dot com slash R slash Divina 141. Rakuten.com slash r slash Davina 141. Happy shopping and make some money.